You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today with me on Max's Island, I've got Tara Ulrich. Tara, welcome to the island. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Tara, all the guests on Max's Island get an opportunity to tell a story about that time in their life where perhaps their life changed on a decision they made. Maybe they had planned something and then decided that actually they'd go in a totally different direction. Or maybe just life threw them a curveball and they ended up in a place where they never imagined. Do you have a time in your life where that may have happened to you? I do. So for me, the pivotal point was essentially around my career. So I had just returned from traveling abroad for almost a year and soaking in the world, you know, all the cultures, all the foods, all of the people, really immersing myself in it. But I had returned back to Perth and was a bit lost on what to do. And was that after high school? Yes, it was just after high school. So this is coming up to almost a decade ago, not revealing my age there. But uh, yeah, so I had returned from traveling, feeling very lost from what to do, because usually um, people have their kind of northern star in terms of leaving high school and going to study or going straight into an apprenticeship. And I um, didn't take either of those options and I just left to travel the world. So I came back feeling a bit confused, a bit lost and assumed my career path would be something that I had probably preempted in my teens and my whole childhood, I guess, um, essentially. And I came back and found out that that was not the career that I was going to choose. And I, in fact, did something completely different, which I'm still doing now and absolutely loving. And how did you fall into that career? Yeah, so I'm currently in the corporate world. I work for a big four And I came back from the traveling and I put out some feelers to some friends and I said, look, I have this potential career opportunity that has sort of been laid out for me as a child, but I don't really want to do it. I want to try something different, but I don't know what I can do. Help, please, somebody help. And I was very fortunate that a friend of mine reached out and said that her firm was hiring and experience was minimal and what I did have would have been enough. And I went for the interview 
And I was, I just remember coming into Perth and feeling so scared because this was not what I had anticipated. I'd barely been to the city, you know, as it was. And all of a sudden I'm dressed in corporate gear with, you know, makeup on, high heels on and walking into a big building with uh, a reception and staff managers and all of these, you know, at the time what felt intimidating people. But it was, you know, I was very lucky I got the job and that was kind of where I started my corporate career. And I've just had quite a few different job roles within that and found my strength was in the corporate world, which completely blew me. It was not what I thought I'd be. So you obviously came back from a year of traveling where there wouldn't have been makeup, there wouldn't have been high heels, there wouldn't have been corporate clothes, everything would (laughs) have been stripped back. You ran your own race in terms of time. I slept whenever I wanted to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, so that would have been a significant change. So it's really interesting that you fell into that, but at the same time embraced it immediately. Exactly. And I think for me was, it wasn't a world that I thought was possible for myself. You know, as I mentioned, I never went to uni. I didn't, at the time I hadn't studied. And so working in the city or in in corporate just seemed very far-fetched for somebody like myself. My upbringing was a bit different than most. And so therefore I felt that my potential career path was already laid out for me and it was definitely not one in the corporate world. So to fall into this world and to find that I suited it and it fit and it worked and I was thriving was a very happy surprise for me and I was really glad that I could be in there. The other part of the story that needs to be told (laughs) is what was that expectation of another career and I'm really surprised that you could say that you were influenced from a very early age to go down a particular path because that's not normally what happens. So no. perhaps you can share with the listeners on Max's Island yes. what that was. Yes. Well, I mean, I know this is a podcast, so you can't see me and I'm definitely not seven foot tall. So I wasn't told I was going to be a basketballer and I wish I was an Einstein, but I wasn't told I was going to be a scientist or an engineer, but I am a child of two deaf adults. And so growing up, I used Auslan, which is Australian Sign Language, frequently in the home. That was the way that I communicated with not only my parents, but our immediate family. So grandparents, aunties, uncles, cousins, parents, best friends, our whole community was full of deaf people. And so as you can imagine, growing up in a community full of deaf people and being a hearing person, I was very often required to interpret for them. And this started at a very young age. And when I say interpret, I don't mean, um, you know, standing in front of a podium of people and uh, interpreting what the speaker is saying. It could be something as minimal as going to the shops and the cash register uh, lady is asking a question to my mother or we're at the restaurant and the waitress comes out and asks the whole table what they'd like to order. And so these little things in life that I think a lot of people just underestimate is a barrier for some and they were a barrier for my family and my family's close friends. And so growing up, I sort of played the role of family interpreter, which therefore led to a lot of comments saying, Tara's going to be an interpreter when she grows up. Tara has to be an interpreter when she grows up. There is no other possible career option for you, Tara. You are an interpreter. Of course you are. You're a child of two deaf adults with a very strong deaf family. Um, I might just chime in and say that my mum's got eight brothers and sisters. All of them are deaf. So it was a very big surprise that I wasn't. And so, yeah, so growing up, it was constantly Tara's going to interpret this, Tara's going to interpret that. That you sort of, you know, as a child, ideally you're brought up in an environment that can embrace you 
choosing and you exploring different opportunities and different life choices. And I felt that at no fault of anybody's, it was taken away from me because of just the expectation that was, I guess, maybe unexpectedly or unintentionally laid out on me that I sort of grew up. I went into high school, um, I guess, essentially not knowing the direction I was going to go in because I just assumed I'd fall back on interpreting. I would, um, you know, go to TAFE, get my interpreter's qualifications and then boom, there's my career. I can understand why that expectation would have been there. You know, you were growing up in an ecosystem that is very tight, very Mm. full of people who are deaf, hard of hearing, and it's easy to be drawn into that and feel like you're cocooned by that environment. And it makes sense that there's an expectation that you would maintain your part in in that environment and continue to play a role that may have been a little different to everybody else in that environment, but you <laughs> yeah. were, had a special role to play. Definitely. And definitely, I think that's a really good way of putting it is that it was an ecosystem and everyone did have their part to play. And back then, especially access for deaf and hard of hearing people was very limited. So right now they are, we're, we're still working on it. It's still a work in progress, but there is a lot more accessibility in terms of interpreters, in terms of funding, in terms of subtitles or transcripts and all of these fantastic things that weren't unfortunately around 20, 25 years ago. And so as you're kind of growing up, you, I felt quite, stuck in between these two worlds there was the deaf world that I felt so at home with I felt natural there I had friends and family that sat in that world but then I also had the hearing world which I had friends and some family there too but for me and I think this is a huge part of why I went traveling was I needed to rediscover what I wanted to do and what made me happy and you know as much as I would always be the first person to uh, help a deaf person, whether it be family, friend, or even just a complete stranger, if they are experiencing any communication barriers, I definitely will make sure I'm there and available to help. I just realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. My experience with people with disability and listeners on Max's Island will will know, I've said it many times, that you know my experiences with people who are blind or vision impaired and the, the deaf community sits alongside that mm. community quite... Um, tightly in a lot of cases and it's very obvious that they are a very connected very proud and really have a strong sense of self-sufficiency as well and 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 perhaps that's a reflection on the the disability and Mm. the potential to be um, perhaps isolated as you've just said in some cases but I think it's also just a cultural thing that the deaf community is a very very tight community so I can imagine how Again, like we said before, that you were drawn into it to play a role and to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in some cases that may have taken away some of your independence. Definitely. And you hit the nail on the head in terms of culture because that's what it is. It is a beautiful language that also has a culture backing it. And it is quite common for children of deaf adults to take that career path as interpreters. You know, essentially working within a community that they feel so safe and at home with. Um, which is, I think, why I had that struggle internally was I do feel safe and home in this community and I do want to help this community and I want to see them thrive and I want to see them get, you know, break down those accessibility barriers. But at the same time, 
it's not what I want and what I really want to do because I don't know what I really want to do. And so taking that year to travel and give myself essentially permission to try different things, which then led me down the path of being in the corporate world, which I found just suited me and my being. And I just, I loved it. I love, I thrived on everything, the ability to um, make a bit of a difference in a different different sort of way. It was more challenging my thought and challenging um, the way that I essentially the things that I believed and I kind of always thought that these big corporate things were super scary old men in suits that would freak me out but but it was actually this beautiful world of people constantly encouraging learning growing and being curious and so after a few years in in uh, at the current company that I'm with I was given this amazing opportunity which sort of brought everything back holistically for me. It was I had those few years of discovering the corporate world and loving the job that I'm in, but there still was that pull back into the deaf community and and helping people with disability. And I remember sitting there going, I don't know how to merge the two because I love what I do and I don't want to give that up full-time, but then I don't want to be an interpreter full-time either. So where is this balance? What can I do? How can I raise more awareness? And I was by a chance encounter that my mum, she came in and visited me at work for a coffee. And she came in and I was being quite cheeky, which, you know, you're not meant to do, but I thought, no, come in through the office and I'll meet, I'll introduce you to everyone. And she's like, oh, okay. Like I've never been in a big office building like this before. I'd, I'd love to see it. And I thought, great. So I proudly showed her off and I said, hey guys, this is my mum. And I'm proudly signing, introducing my mum to everyone. Everyone's waving and saying hi. And we left. And the next day, a colleague of mine, um, Megan, she pulled me aside and she goes, I actually felt really frustrated after meeting your mum. And I thought, that's unusual. Most people think that she's delightful, but okay. <laughs> why, why was she frustrating you? And she goes, no, 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 she wasn't frustrating me. She's like, I was frustrated that I couldn't communicate with her. She goes, I saw this woman come in with this huge smile and she's waving at people and she's, you know, essentially talking to people, but I couldn't understand her. And she goes, and I want to change that. I want to learn sign language. Where do I go? What do I do? And this idea popped in my head and I thought, the company that I work for is a massive advocate for inclusivity and raising awareness on not only um, disability, but equality in the workplace. And I thought, I wonder if they would give me, not even funding, but give me the um, opportunity to promote a a sign language class at work. And we could get a couple of people on board. Mum said she'd happily teach it. And I didn't think it would take off the way it did, but that was five years ago. And we had launched since then almost a dozen different Auslan classes across Australia and New Zealand, teaching over five, 600 of our staff sign language. And in that time, I've become this advocate within uh, my company for raising awareness on disability in the workplace and equality in the workplace and making sure that what we do, we're embedding that equality for everybody. So for a couple of years there, I sort of rode this wave of being in my role, which at the time was learning and development, which sort of fitted in quite well with this because we're we're educating, we're growing, we're learning, we're developing our people with this uh, self-designed course of of Auslan or New Zealand sign, depending on the country. So I I found this amazing opportunity where I was was juggling the both and really thriving because I'm thinking, I'm finally getting to merge the two. 
Um, but then during that time, the company that I work for decided to start up a diversity, equity and inclusion team. And in doing so, they asked me to be one of the managers on the team. And I thought, brilliant. This is ticking all the boxes. I'm still in the corporate world. I'm still doing what I love doing. I'm interacting with the people that I love interacting. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it sounds really silly, but I love wearing the heels to work and I love being able to write my emails, jump on team calls and make those connections with all these people across Australia and New Zealand, you know, globally at one point. But then at the same time, I'm raising awareness about something that is so close to home and I'm so passionate about and I'm still able to do it. And so I thought, you know, it took me eight years, but whilst I'm not an interpreter, I'm still giving back to a community and a culture and a bunch of people that I absolutely love and adore while being able to do what I want to do career-wise. Can I just go back to the 500 people or so yeah. that you put through the courses in across Australia and New Zealand in, in your organisation? Of the people that did the course, how many of them do you think genuinely felt that it was important for them to be aware of this alternate language yep. and even if they weren't using it mm-hmm. on a regular basis that they felt again empowered you know if they ever got into that situation they they had a skill that they could use and yeah. or how many actually were in an environment where they connected with people who are deaf and therefore it actually was an immediate skill that they could could use. Yeah. So the launch of this this training at um at work opened the floodgates. The stories that I could tell you is just phenomenal. I still get chills thinking of the people that we've impacted not only by teaching them this valuable skill but raising awareness about a community that a lot of people are quite curious about. It is not uncommon for anybody in their day-to-day to interact with a deaf person, whether it's on the street, whether it's um, at school or whether it's in the workplace, there are deaf people everywhere. And so, so many people have found that this is finally an opportunity that they can learn a language to break down that communication barrier. And um, one of the, I've got two stories I'll actually share. Um, One of the stories was a woman that I worked with, her child, in, in fact, was born deaf. And, but she had no idea what to do. And so she um, went by her doctor's advice, which was to just speak as normal to the child. And when the child is of age, we will provide it with um, devices that can help it here. And she went, okay, no problem. And then a mere six, seven months later, we've launched this course and she went, I can actually, wait a minute, there's an alternative here. I don't, Yes, you know, we're still going to use English, verbal English with our child and get the devices that the child needs. Yes, but there's also an alternative which can teach our child the language that is their language, which is the language of the deaf. And so she jumped on and did the first 10-week course, absolutely loved it, reached out to me and said, where can I learn more? How can I get in touch with someone that can help my family learn it? Because I want the grandparents, the aunties, the uncles, the cousins. I want everybody to learn it so we can all communicate with my daughter. And I went, oh my goodness, yes. This, I've, you're, this is the one person I needed to impact and my job here is done. Um, Amazing story. And just thought of the word to say, the amplification, <laughs> yeah. which is a hearing-related yeah. word. but yeah. the, the irony. The irony of it. but. And that's probably the bit that you didn't anticipate, the oh. the ripple effect that was able to occur. And, and it's a little sad that the medical fraternity mm. steered the, and influenced that lady down a particular path with their child 
and and pretty much said, well, that's the only only path yeah. and a, a traditional path relating to hearing Correct. as opposed to communicating. Correct. And so the, the introduction of sign, just I can I can really imagine how the child themselves, but also the extended family, all of a sudden had much more enriched communication as exactly. opposed to just hearing and talking. Exactly. And it's more about giving them options. And it's not saying that one is better than the other or one is more necessary than the other. It's about providing them with options. And, you know, as you said, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm no professional, but unfortunately in the medical industry, they do steer you towards one path and one path only. And at no fault of the parents, if a medical professional is telling you their professional opinion, you tend to hear it. And it's not until you either seek upon research yourself or you interact with somebody that is from that community or you happen to see an email at work that says, hey, we're doing sign language classes with a deaf teacher. You go, oh my goodness, that that I could do that. And I think that I'm very lucky that at work, they are all about breaking down those barriers of communication and providing everyone with that opportunity to learn this language and see where it leads them. And we've had you know, well over a couple of dozen people come back and say, hey, I've gone and on to level two at a private organization or I'm actually studying for, to become an interpreter and I'm going to one day leave the corporate world. Don't think I should be saying that on a podcast <laughs> so I won't mention names. But, you know, it's really sparked an interest in a lot of people which therefore has sparked an interest back in the community. And for me, it's all about raising that awareness and advocating for the deaf community, making sure that they're getting their, their equal rights and, in a sense, their voice heard and seen. Your mum. Yes. <laughs> had she taught sign prior to? Yes. But she'd never taught it in the corporate world. No. And as you said, she, she'd never been into it or very, very no. rarely been into a, <laughs> a high big rise office and, yes. and all of that. So... How did she take to it? Mm. What do you think her reflections of the last five years have been? And, yeah. is, and you as her daughter and, you know, knowing her all your life, have you seen a change in her because of that? Definitely. So, yeah, like you said, mum had never been into a corporate building, let alone taught people in a corporate setting. Um, so she had been an Auslan teacher for, at that point in time, possibly well, about 30 years. So the teaching the class wasn't a problem. It was the audience that she had. And even just funny little things, mum would come in and our um, team would offer her a coffee. And she'd go, oh my God, I'm getting a free coffee. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, mum, this is what happens at work. We've got a coffee machine on every floor. <gasps> she got so excited. And so I'm thinking, wow, like even for her, something as simple as a barista made coffee made all the difference because that wasn't, wasn't anything she was exposed to. And the views that my work had, she thought, oh, my goodness, this is where you work. And so for her, she absolutely loved it. She loved coming in every every week for 10 weeks and teaching people. But also it, it sort of strengthened our bond because I was bringing her into my world for once. So all my life, I'd always been part of her world, which was the deaf world. And, you know, very so often she'd pop into the hearing world through my friends or essentially through maybe school, but it was never anything cement. And so for the first time I was going, no, mum, this is my world. This is what I do for a living. These are the people that I'm with every day. This is my work. And I was so proud to be able to bring her and have that equal playing field because she was also coming to work essentially because we, you know, she, she was our teacher and um, 
she's loved it. She So we've seen it launch, um, like I said, to over a dozen classes. She's not taught all of them because we've done them in physical settings in Melbourne, in Sydney, in Canberra. But then we've also done them over Zoom. So she's done a couple of those. And then obviously in New Zealand, while they speak very similar to Auslan, um, which is Australian Sign Language, they do have New Zealand Sign Language. And we wanted to be really respectful that we were getting the right deaf teachers in place. So we recruited deaf teachers over in New Zealand. But this has led us to, we were on Channel 7 a couple of years ago, promoting the program and uh, the fact that the company that I work for was doing this uh, disability-led course, which was at the time the first of its kind. So mum's been on TV since, she's been on LinkedIn, which is something she's never been before, she's written articles. So essentially, I guess, her career path changed a little bit because all of her life she'd been a teacher of sign language and a teacher of deaf children. And then all of a sudden I brought her into my world and she was a teacher of the corporate and she was on TV and she's writing articles and all of these fantastic things. So I think, yeah, in a weird, strange world of events is that we've both caught of incorporated our worlds and we met in the middle. We talked earlier about the deaf ecosystem and the, the, the network that you were in growing up, to have your mum be exposed to a whole new world, I can just imagine how inspiring it would have been for her mm. where she could be herself, yep. her uniqueness, the skills that she had and the world that, that she lives in. Mm. She could bring that and share it with others in, in a world that she'd never been in before. And it's great that, she didn't feel intimidated by that. No. She might have been in awe of yeah. <laughs> some of the things, you know, the Barista Coffee and all yeah. of that, but it sounds like she wasn't intimidated because no. she was able to be herself and bring that uniqueness that she has with being deaf but also being such a communicator um, with the language. Definitely. It was a, especially upon reflection, it was such a beautiful experience to have with her, especially because I think it sort of demonstrated to her that Whilst I'm on my own journey and I'm discovering my own career paths, which has been ever evolving, at the root of it, I am still very, very proud to be her and my father's daughter and a representation of a child of two deaf adults. In winding up your visit to Max's (laughs) Island, Tara, I'd just like to ask you, you you mentioned that you're part of a broader diversity group Mm -hmm. now within the organisation you work for. Has the deaf disability been able to establish an equal footing against all the other, I guess, more contemporary diversity issues around gay and queer people, mm. uh, women, the equality, and, and other things yeah. like that? Uh, the, dis- the disability part, does it does that get an equal weighting and an equal airtime? It definitely... Because I think it's important because yeah. um, disability sometimes and across all disabilities mm. is perceived a little differently from an equity point of view and a diversity point of view. And and the fact that you're bringing that strong disability theme Mm. into a broader diversity and equity space, um, yeah, I'm interested to know the balance. Definitely. So I'm quite fortunate that the organisation I work for is is quite a large organisation in terms of size. And so we have amazing networks set up for, like you said, not only the LGBTIQ plus community, our gender community, our Indigenous community or our disability community, which at the organisation I work for, we have labelled it the Ability Network. And within all of those networks is 
champions of change. There are there are people advocating for those to be seen, to be heard, to have those equal rights within the corporation as well as the wider society because we can only do so much as an organization, but it's also reinventing and resetting the mindset of the wider society that at the end of the day we are all human. And so for me in particular, my role is to look over all of them and make sure all of them are getting, as you say, airtime. But I do obviously have that passion towards our ability networks, but I'm one of the long-term members to that network. Um, I do a lot of advocating for it and not just deaf and hard of hearing. It's whether it's neurodiversity, whether it's a a physical disability or an, an invisible disability, whatever it may be, we're ensuring that if you come and work for our organization or you're a client of our organization, you will be treated fairly and you will be given equal opportunity to anybody else, which makes me really, really proud to work there because I've seen it firsthand. I brought them this idea five years ago, which has completely blown up and I just feel so proud to be supported by the organization and you know, being recognized as an individual with a story, um, not just a number. You just mentioned champions of change. Yes. You are a great champion of change. (laughs) Thanks for being on Max's Island. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work and no play. And how, how had it turned out this way? sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky, completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing.